All right, everybody. Well, happy ninth anniversary to Living Truth in one year in this new building. And it is a, a great honor and privilege for us as pastors to serve a great and precious congregation like you. It's our honor and our privilege. So thank you for who you are. Thank you for how you support us and pray for us and uh, do all that you do. Ministry is not just about a group of a handful of pastors. It's about all of us. And uh, I, I just think it's a great honor. And I am amazed at what God is allowing this congregation to do in this city through the airwaves. We literally reach thousands of people a week between the, the church ministry, the missionaries that are on the field, and the radio ministry that happens here, not to mention all the other stuff that I didn't talk about. Uh, literally thousands of people each week are being reached, and it's a, a blessing. Um, I want to take a moment to acknowledge the Campbell family. They could not be here tonight, but the Campbell family is moving on, and they are part of a church plant in Riverside, and they're going to help a church uh, get established there, so we can clap for them. And uh, it's a startup church. My understanding is there's about 40 to 50 people there, and uh, Trish is helping out with worship, and Mel's helping out with a lot of stuff. And the intention of the uh, Campbells, what they're praying for, is to eventually start a fellowship down the 15 freeway, somewhere to Mesco area in that area. So pray for them, and we're going to pray for them right now. Father God, I want to thank you for the faithfulness of Pastor Mel, of Trish, of 13 years, I think 13 plus years of faithful service here at Living Truth. Um, it, it's amazing how much time has gone by. And we're just so grateful for all that they've done, Lord. Mel has been a faithful voice, uh, teaching the Word of God faithfully. Trish, leading children's ministry, the choir, and so many other things that they've done as a family. And we know they have kids in college now and a lot on their plate and a lot of influence in this city. And we pray that you'll continue to have your hand of blessing on them. We pray that they would walk by your spirit, Lord, be led by your spirit, that you'll bless this new venture as they reach out with the gospel. We pray your protection over them as a family. We pray that you'd guard them from the evil one, keep their marriage strong, and uh, Lord, we pray that you would bless what they put their hands to, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're in Genesis 32 tonight, and we're going to look at a message called Wrestling with God. Genesis 32. We're going to pick it up at verse 1, and here's the backdrop of the story, because some of you are new to moving through Genesis. Here's what's been going on. Jacob has run from home with a angry brother named Esau. He stole Esau's birthright and his blessing, and Esau's been holding a grudge. Mom overheard Esau say, I'm going to kill my brother, and that's how I'm going to make myself feel better. And so mom heard it and told Jacob, you need to get out of town and get out of town fast. So Jacob, with really nothing took off and he headed for the area of Mesopotamia and he went to work for his uncle Laban. While Jacob was there and he was there a total of 20 years, he ends up with 11 sons. He will have a daughter named Dinah and then eventually he'll have another son named Benjamin. 
And he, he works seven years for Leah because he gets tricked by his uncle Laban, or now his father-in-law. He works seven years for Rachel, another six years for the flocks that he gets, and he's spent 20 years in this area of Haran, uh, Ur of the Chaldees, where uh, his grandfather originally made the trek into the land of Canaan or the promised land. And now God's been telling Jacob that it's time to go. It's time to go back home. And so Jacob collects his family and he knows that it's not going to go well with his father-in-law. And so he tells his wives, it's time for us to go. We need to leave. He packs everything, puts them on camels, and off they go. And they're heading back hundreds of miles to the promised land. But father-in-law Laban finds out what happened and he pursues them with basically an army. And he finally catches up to them. And Jacob's afraid what his father-in-law is going to do. But his father-in-law has a dream. The night before he's going to confront Jacob, God showed up in a dream and protected Jacob and basically told uh, Laban, "Don't, don't do anything stupid. That's a paraphrase. Don't say anything stupid to him. And so God protected him and the story ended in the last chapter we were together that they, they stacked some stones called a heap of stones. They called it a, a witness heap and they made a covenant together. And basically they put up a stone marker and, and Laban said, I won't cross over to hurt you and you don't cross over this boundary to hurt me. Okay, okay. And they ate a meal around the heap of stones and it was called a stone of witness, a witness to the covenant that they had made. And so Jacob had to now move on with Laban in his rearview mirror, 20 years of abuse from his uncle, 20 years of manipulation, being overworked, being cold, being uh, hot in the day, hungry. And finally, he was going to leave Uncle Laban. And God had told him to do this, and finally, he was free of that. But even with that freedom, now Jacob was going to move to the next chapter of his life. And he hadn't been home in 20 years. And his mom had told him that when your brother calms down, when he stops having this grudge against you for how you connived him, I will send word to you. The whole 20 years that Jacob was in Haran, he never got word, never got a note from his mom that we can see in Scripture, never was told that Esau had calmed down. So he had to assume that Esau's grudge never calmed down that he still bore the grudge in his heart. And when you hold on to hurt for decades, it can often get worse. When we let resentment build up in our hearts, it makes things typically worse, not better. So two decades later now, Jacob has been told by God, and he's finally been released to go home. But Jacob is literally between a rock and a hard place because he doesn't know what to expect when he goes home. And what Jacob is going to have to face now, and I believe that Jacob has largely become a different man over the last 20 years, he's been able to see himself and his uncle Laban. He's been able to see his manipulative ways and how he was wrong. But he doesn't know what to expect when he goes home. He doesn't know what's happened with his brother, and he's going to have to face his own failures. He's going to have to face the consequences of his own sin. Now, maybe you've been at a crossroads in your own life, or maybe you've been there before, where God has done a work in your life, but now that he's done that work, he's asking you to go back and face things that you didn't want to face. Maybe some time has passed. Maybe for you it's been a few years or a few months, maybe even a few days. 
And now God's saying to you, I've released you, I've taught you some lessons in this foreign land, and now you're going to go back home. But when you go back home, you're going to have to face what you did. And what Jacob had to face was that he had cheated his brother. His name, Jacob, means something like supplanter or conniver, literally heel catcher, one who grabs on to stuff that's even not rightfully his. And so off Jacob went. And Jacob had a heavy heart because he didn't know what to expect. He had seen God do some wonderful things in his life, and he certainly was encouraged by that, but he knew he was going to have to face the music, and it can be very difficult. And here's the thing about Jacob's pivotal moment in life right now. He had nowhere else to go but forward. He couldn't go back. He couldn't cross that boundary marker where that covenant was made. He couldn't go back to Laban. He didn't want to go back to Laban's lies or Laban's old ways. He knew he had to move forward. Now was the time to move forward. But whenever God calls you to move forward and you feel like you have nowhere else to go, you know you must press on in the ways of Jesus Christ towards that upward call in Christ Jesus. It can still be very challenging. But that's what Jacob was facing. And so in, in this, call it a crossroads moment of his life, we pick up the story in Genesis 32.1, and it says, Now as Jacob went on his way, Genesis 32.1, the angels of God met him. Now that would be an easy scripture to pass by, except for the fact that this is a remarkable moment in scripture. Jacob had had a dream in Genesis 28 of a ladder that reached from the, the level of the earth all the way up into the heavens. And you might remember, if you've studied this before, that it was called, or we call it, Jacob's Ladder. And what he saw was angels ascending and descending on the ladder. And the Lord stood above the ladder, and he made a promise to Jacob. And basically, the promise was, Jacob, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to multiply you. And if I could add this, and do you see the activity on this ladder? Something like an escalator from heaven to earth and earth back to heaven. That's how active I am in the world. That's how, I, how involved I am in, in carrying out my word and my promises. And I do it oftentimes, this is the, the message of Jacob's ladder, through angels. In fact, the Bible says that angels are ministering spirits, Hebrews 1.14. They've come to minister to those who will inherit salvation. Some have even entertained angels, do you remember? Unaware. And I think that's a reference to uh, Abraham, and that's from Hebrews chapter 13. So notice in verse 1, the angels of God met him. This is not just one angel, this is a multitude of angels. This is a group of angels, and we're going to find out it's actually a camp of angels, and at a pivotal moment in Jacob's life, when he was literally between a rock and a hard place, God showed up, and God showed up with an angelic army, and what do you think the message might be to Jacob with a heavy heart, having to face his past failures, having to face his angry brother? What, was, what do you think the message was? Jacob, I'm with you. I showed you that vision of the ladder in your dream, and now I'm showing you through this practical appearance of angels that I'm with you. And Jacob said when he saw them, this is God's camp. So he named the place Mahanaim. The word means double or dual camp. And we're going to see that in a second. Jacob immediately realized that this was something divine. He immediately realized that these were messengers and maybe they, they looked similar to what he had seen in the dream of Jacob's ladder. And he said, 
this is God's camp. Do you remember when he originally saw the ladder? He called the place, extra credit Bible students, what did he call the place? Bethel, right? And that is, this is the house of God. God was here and I didn't even know it. And now, with a more visible manifestation of angels, he says, this is God's camp. Jacob had to set up camp. He was traveling. He was, he was living in tents. But now God says, look, I'm here. I will not leave you and I will not forsake you. If you're taking notes, Psalm 34, 3 through 8 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. The poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his trouble. Psalm 34, 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Jacob literally got to realize the promise of Psalm 34. And it wasn't just the angel of the Lord, and that would have been enough because the angel of the Lord is often a direct reference to Jesus in the Old Testament or the second person of the Trinity in the Old Testament, what's called a Christophany or a Theophany. But here's what Jacob could know. At a crossroads moment in his life, God was with him. When the attendant of the man of God had arisen early and gone out, 2 Kings 6.15, behold, an army with horses and chariots were circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he answered and said, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, O oh Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, 2 Kings 6, 15 through 17, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When we can't see what God is up to, he is still faithful to his promises. Angels are very involved in the Bible, and a couple of places that relate to this is in the ministry of Jesus himself. This is Mark 1, 12 and 13. It says, Immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beast, and the angels were ministering to him. That's Mark 1, 13. And after Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke 22, 41 through 44, Jesus withdrew from them about a stone's throw. He knelt down and began to pray. He said, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will but thine be done. Now an angel from heaven, Luke 22, 43, appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat become, became like drops of blood falling to the ground. At many pivotal moments in life, God seems to dispatch angels. We may not always recognize it, but some people have shared stories where they think maybe it was an angel. We don't always know for sure, but God has his ways of getting us where he wants us to be. And Jacob sent messengers, look at verse 3, before him to brother Esau, to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. Now this is where eventually Esau ends up. And all the Edomites come from Esau. The area of Edom is modern-day Jordan, that area. So just that's where uh, Esau ends up settling, the brother of Jacob. He also commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, 
Thus says your servant Jacob. Now remember, he hasn't seen him for 20 years. I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. And I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. When you do a little homework on where Jacob had to travel, traveling from the area of Haran and Mesopotamia back to the promised land, which is the land of Israel, it's debatable whether or not he really had to cross over land that was actually the possession of Esau. Some scholars say that this was kind of like a preventative uh, thing where he was trying to get ahead of a problem and he figured he was going to run into Esau and therefore he was going to have to appease him. And other scholars say that the motivation of Jacob is not geographical, it's spiritual. That he probably wasn't going to cross paths with Esau But the reason that he sent the servant with this message to his brother is because he wanted to make amends for what he had done to his brother. So this is not the necessity of geography as much as it is is the necessity of a heavy heart. Sometimes when we grow in Christ, hopefully this is always true of us, we start to reflect on past mistakes that we've made. I do not believe that God wants us to stay stuck there. I don't believe that God brings things to mind that happened 5, 10, 15 years ago for us to just grovel in, you know, the mistakes we made. But I do believe that sometimes God gives us a different perspective of our past once we've become maturer Christians. Everybody with me? And then you look at your past and you go, oh my goodness. What I couldn't see back then, I now see. What I couldn't see when I was here, but now that I'm here in life, now I can get a clearer picture of what a mess I made, how selfish I was, and what I had done to my brother. And Jacob was able to see that in Laban, his uncle, being right in front of him and ripping off his his wages, changing them ten times, switching daughters on his wedding night. He was able to see himself in his uncle, and it wasn't pretty what he saw. And so it may be that what actually drove Jacob to send these gifts to his brother was the desire to make amends. Now, some Bible commentators have said that when you watch the actions of Jacob in this chapter, you will see a way to make amends with people. And one of the things that I think where it starts is always in your heart. If God's putting a past situation on your heart to make right, you want to pray about it, and certainly you want to make sure you're being led by the Spirit, But then you want to humble yourself. Jacob uses what we might call self-effacing terms. He he calls uh, Esau my Lord. He says, I'm your servant. If I found favor in your sight. He's, He's humbling himself before his brother. Now we know by all rights, Jacob is actually the one that's Esau's supposed to serve. Esau is older, but Jacob's been given that position of authority. And yet Jacob humbles himself because I think what Jacob wants to do is make amends with his brother. We could call this a positive payback. He's going to send some gifts ahead to his brother. And the messengers, verse 6, returned to Jacob and said, We came to your brother Esau, so they found him. And furthermore, he's coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. Now, Jacob must have been, you know, really heartened by the fact that the servant said, Hey, we found your bro, and... uh, Okay, well, what's the news? And here's what the servants say. Uh, Well, he's got 400 men with him, and he's coming in this direction. 
Now, if you were Jacob and you knew that your brother had been bearing a grudge for some two decades, some 20 years, and now you know he has what would be considered by historians the size of a small militia, what would you be thinking? In Scooby language, it would be rut row. <laughs> or real braggy. Thank you. And if you want the laugh, it's <laughs> Okay, anyway. Thank you. Thank you very much. I do do side work if you uh, want to talk to me later. 400 men. Oh my goodness. Well, the reaction in verse 7 is understandable. Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. So Jacob does something very human. We don't blame him. He's got a huge family. He's got all these flocks and herds. He's got male and female servants. He's got children and wives he's concerned about. He says, well, maybe my best shot is for us to split up. And if Esau finds one of our groups and he wipes us out, maybe the other group will survive. Can you imagine having thoughts like that? Can you imagine being with your family and saying, we're going to have to split up because I know that we're probably going to be attacked and I'm hoping that one of the two groups will somehow survive this? Well, that's what it's come down to for Jacob. And Jacob did something very smart, and maybe he should have done this first, but Jacob will pray. This is the first recorded prayer that we have of Jacob in the book of Genesis. I'm not saying he never prayed before, but this is the first one where we have the words of the prayer. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, he is calling upon the name of the covenant God. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are uh, in that covenant with God, the Abrahamic covenant. O Lord, who did say to me, return to your country and to your relatives, and I will prosper you. Jacob says, I am unworthy, verse 10, of all the loving kindness and all, of all the faithfulness which thou hast shown to thy servant." For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan. He was a shepherd and kind of like Moses, that's all he had. No possessions when he first came to Uncle Laban. And now I've become two companies. Jacob's basically saying, Lord, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy for all that you've done for me. John the Baptist said to Jesus, I'm not worthy to untie the thong of your sandals. The centurion said, Lord, I'm not even worthy for you to come under my household. Do you remember the, was the, the publican praying in Luke 18? Says, be merciful to me, a sinner, as he beats his chest. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. You know, David, I think, said something similar. I'm unworthy of all the blessings that you've given to me, Lord. I want to build you a house. And God said, David, I'm going to build you a house. And I can stand here and tell you this on a night like this when, you know, we've done a pastor's appreciation and tell you I'm unworthy of what God's done for me in the last quarter of a century. He has been so good to me. And, you know, for me to look back on, uh, you know, they made me, at a church in Orange, they made me an elder when I was 26 years old. I don't know what they were thinking, to be perfectly honest with you. I was a very zealous believer, but I was very immature. And yet, that church allowed me to do ministry, and God 
has been faithful, and he certainly taught me a lot of lessons along the way. But I feel that way all the time. I'm unworthy for the blessings that you've bestowed upon me, Lord. And then Jacob says, Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me, the mothers with the children. I'm afraid for me, I'm afraid for my family. For thou did say, I will surely prosper you. And that's a good way to pray. Remind God of promises he's made to you in the Bible, right? God, you said this, and I'm going to stand on it. And you said, I will prosper you. You said, I will make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Jacob's basically saying, if Esau destroys us now, if he wipes out my family, God, how will these promises that you've made come true? You told me I'm going to have all these descendants. You told me that we're going to bless all the families of the earth. How will this happen unless you are faithful? I think Jacob could be summed up in this way. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief, Mark 9, 24. I believe your promises, and I'm going to stand on them right now, but with 400 men coming from what I, last I knew, is a very spiteful brother, I am fearful, Lord. I don't know what's going to happen. Now remember, just... What just happened to Jacob is he saw this whole company of angels. You might be thinking, wasn't that enough? I've never seen an angel before, let alone a whole company of them. Why doesn't Jacob have confidence? Have you ever gone from a real spiritual high, like in a church service, or maybe you just witnessed to somebody, or you broke through a threshold in your Christian life, and you're thinking, man, I'm doing great, and then the next moment, and you're like, man, I just saw a company of angels 20 minutes ago. What happened to me? It doesn't take much sometimes for us to fall on our face. And so Jacob spent the night there, verse 13, and he selected from what he had with, a, with him a present for his brother Esau. Now look at this list. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their colts, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys, and a partridge in a pear tree. I'm sorry I added that. Archer's part. And he delivered them into the hand of his servants. Every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass on before me and put a space between the droves or the herds NIV. And he commanded the one in front saying, when my brother Esau meets you and asks you saying, to whom do you belong? And where are you going? And to whom do these animals in front of you belong? By the way, in my count, well over 500 animals. He's offering. Jacob is a wealthy, a seriously wealthy man at this point. He's got a number of possessions that God has blessed him with. And he says, look, if my brother asks you, here's what you're to tell him. You shall say, 18, these belong to your servant Jacob. He's your servant. Uh, Take note of that. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau. And behold, he also is behind us. Then he commanded also the second and the third and all those who followed the drove saying, after this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him and you shall say, behold, your servant Jacob also is behind us. And so here's here's the way you got to envision this. Basically, he separated the animals, well over 500 it appears, into groups. He sent a servant on ahead and when the servant got to Esau, the servant said, hey, I represent Jacob. Your brother, remember him? He's a little grayer, 20 years. But look, this is a present for you. And he might, the brother Esau might say, well, where's Jacob? Well, he's coming. You'll see him in a minute. And then another group of animals came. You know, whatever. And he was like, wow, look at all these animals. This is a present from you, for you from your brother Jacob. Wow. And then another group came. 
And where's Jacob? Well, he's behind us. And Jacob, this is a pretty wise move, don't you think? He was trying to appease his brother, and he was trying to shower him with gifts and kind of give him this moment of anticipation. And uh, one writer said, um, for the first time in Jacob's life, he wanted to be last. <laughs> you shall say, behold, he is behind us. You'll, you'll see his face, verse 20. And Jacob said, perhaps this is his, his scheme now. This is his plan. Perhaps he'll accept me after I shower him with all these gifts. Maybe he'll forgive me. And so the present passed on before him. And while he himself spent the night in the camp. So the evening now comes, but sleep fled from Jacob. And uh, I'm sure his heart was heavy. I'm sure his pulse was pounding. I'm sure he had one of those nights. You ever had one of those nights where you put a plan together and, and maybe there's a lot on the line and maybe you shouldn't have had coffee at five o'clock in the afternoon and you just toss and turn and scenarios are going off in your mind like, what if he does this? What if he, what if he likes the cows but he doesn't like the cows? I don't know. What if he beats my servant? I don't know. What do you think? I don't know what's going to happen. And I think it was just a restless night for him. And so he spent the night in the camp. Now he arose that same night. So this is the middle of the night. He took his two wives and his two maids and his 11 children and crossed the ford of Jebok. This is an eastern tributary off the Jordan River. You can reference Deuteronomy 2, verse 37, the stream in the, called the Transjordan area. And so it was a stream, but it was nighttime, a big family, probably kind of dangerous to cross this thing, but he crosses over with the family, verse 23. He took them, he sent them across the stream, and he sent across whatever he had. So it seems like the last of his possessions and animals and all of that, and um, he sends the family. And then Jacob, I assume, crossed back over the stream, and he was left alone. That's verse 24. So Jacob's even sent his family, and I think what awoke him in the middle of the night is, oh no, what if, what if someone sneaks up on this place where I've set up camp, and I don't, I don't have a chance to anticipate his coming, and my, I don't have everything around me that I'd want to have? So he sent the family to a, another place, and he was left there all alone. And here's what happens. One of the more interesting scenes in Scripture. And a man, verse 24, wrestled with him until daybreak. Now finally, Jacob's done everything that you, would, you might say is humanly possible. And he lays down, you know, maybe he's got, he's rolled up some garments, put his head down. Maybe, you know, a little bit of the night has passed. Maybe it's the wee morning hours, 2, 3 a.m. I don't know for sure. But all of a sudden, Jacob gets grabbed by somebody. Maybe he's entered into some sleep, and all of a sudden, his heart probably froze inside of him like, <laughs> can you imagine? Have you ever had one of those dreams or ever had somebody mess with you in the middle of the night and grab you? Hey! Like, <laughs> those are some of the funniest videos when people get woken up out of sleep. People, they can be pretty nasty when you wake them up too, right? Well, what do you think Jacob thought of this? He probably thought, this is maybe a spy from Esau's uh, group. Maybe this is a marauder that's come to just kill me. I don't know. But all of a sudden, Jacob finds himself in a wrestling match. The word wrestled in verse 24 is a Hebrew word that means to grapple, to get dusty, or to wrestle. And he wrestled with him until daybreak. So just so you guys know, this is Old Testament MMA, right here. You thought it started in our day. No, it's not true. 
All of a sudden, Jacob has been snagged by this nighttime mystery visitor. And he's like, oh no. And he is literally in a scrap. Dust is flying. They're making the moves. You know, I've watched a little bit of the MMA. I don't understand it. It looks pretty brutal to me. But I understand that the goal of MMA is to get the other person to submit. Is that true? Isn't, don't they call it submission? To tap out. Uncle, auntie. <laughs> Talk about a restless night. Or if you want to use the alternate spelling, W-R-E-S-T. Talk about a restful night. Some of you got that. Others of you didn't. Too much pizza. It's all right. And when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, now I don't know how long this went on, but I was reading a commentary this week and a guy was mentioning that he wrestled in high school. And he said, when you wrestled in high school, it was three two-minute periods. Is that true? You guys remember that? Anybody wrestle in high school? Three two-minute periods? How exhausted were you at the end of that time? Pretty exhausted, right? I mean, you give everything you can in six minutes with some breaks and a little bit of tapping and stuff like that, right? Well, this was a scrap, and I don't know how long it went on, but Jacob was what he probably thought was in the fight of his life. And he saw that he had not prevailed against him, and he, and I think this is speaking now of this mystery visitor, he touched the socket of his thigh, of Jacob's thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Now you're in a scrap all of a sudden, and, and you know, this, this mystery visitor, you know, you can kind of see that you're a little bit tough, and he just went zap, and then, ah! something dislocated. Now, anybody ever had a dislocation? Oh, quite a few of you. Dislocated finger. You ever seen a dislocated finger on a football player? Their finger is sideways, and you're like, oh, that look, and they, they pop it back in, and go ahead, do it, man. Cut me, Mick. <laughs> Sorry, that's an old reference, but some of you may know. <laughs> Can you imagine having a dislocated hip? Oh, my goodness, that had to be so painful. And they wrestled, and his hip was dislocated. Then he, that is this mystery man, said, let me go. For the dawn is breaking. But he, Jacob, said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob was holding on for dear life. And I think that Jacob has recognized something during this grappling. He's recognized this is no ordinary man. And Jacob's holding on for dear life. And you're going to see in a commentary on this passage from another passage of the Bible in a moment that Jacob is not really winning. He's holding on. He got a dislocation. And he's just saying, oh, please, don't leave until you bless me. You see, all of a sudden in the middle of the night, I think Jacob recognized something. God has shown up again. And I don't know what the message is yet. All I know is I'm wrestling with someone who's very tough. In fact, he just touched the spot of my body and... <laughs> inconvenient. Power. Inconvenient for you. Power on the other side. And the man said, let me go. And Jacob said, I'm not letting you go. Lord, Jacob might say something like this. I'm hurt and I'm pleading for your blessing. I have no more strength. I'm weak, wounded, and tired of fighting you. 
His plea, one writer says, was tear-choked. Something like this. Lord, I'm done. Lord, I'm afraid. Will you please help me? You see, this is no ordinary wrestling match. This could be a confession. He said to him, the mystery visitor said, what is your name? And he said, I'm Jacob. I am the fraud. I'm a conniver. I'm a fake. And I've been learning some big lessons and I'm on the heels of something that I don't know if it's going to cost me and my family our lives because something I did 20 years ago is about to catch up with me. I've got to face my past. I have, I've tried to make amends, but I don't know what this brother of mine's going to do. Would you help me? I don't want to let go. It's obvious to me that you're powerful. Would you all turn to the book of Hosea? We'll wrap this up as quick as we can, but you got to see this parallel text. So you want to go, go towards your New Testament, and you're going to get to the book of Hosea, pass up Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Okay. Hosea is uh, what's called the second minor prophet. Uh, That's only because he's called a minor prophet because of the size of his book. It's less in volume. Hosea 12, look at verse 3. It says, in the womb, Hosea 12, 3, in the womb he, that is Jacob, took his brother by the heel. And in his maturity he contended with who? With God, Hosea 12, 4. Yes, he wrestled with the angel. You have a new King James, it's the angel, angel capitalized, and prevailed. Look at this. He wept and sought his favor. He found him at Bethel, and there he spoke with us. Even the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his name. When you take the parallel passage, and if you turn back to the book of Genesis, it would appear that the commentary from the book of Hosea is that Jacob was holding on for dear life. You see, this wrestling match had become a picture of Jacob's whole life and a picture of the future nation that he was the head of, or at least he was an essential part of. And here's what it was. Jacob had wrestled with God his whole life, and God was saying, if you want to continue, if you want to be in my blessing, you must submit to me tonight. I have come here because I know you're at a crossroads and I know you need my help and you're going to wrestle with me because that's what you've been doing your whole life. You wrestled with your brother in the womb. Your mother had to come and ask me, what's going on in my tummy? And I told her there's two nations wrestling. And then you wrestled with your brother and your father by stealing the birthright and the blessing and by acting like you were Esau when you were actually Jacob. And then you went to Laban and then you wrestled with him and then you wrestled with your own wives and they wrestled with each other. Your whole life's been about wrestling. Amen? So why not just finish it off tonight? Since you're a wrestler, let's wrestle. Can you imagine God saying, ding, ding, okay, Let's see what you got. You apparently like to wrestle. Now, when you have three boys in a house, wrestling is a part. Lamps break, things are destroyed. We used to play football in the living room at the great uh, distraughtness of the blonde woman there. (laughs) What are you doing in there? We're playing football. All right. 
And now when they were little, I would get down on my knees and I would take the ball and they would all be on my back and I was able to carry them. Now, it would break me. But anyway, that's a different story. And God basically says, okay, Jacob, I want you to notice in the Bible that it's not Jacob wrestled with the man. It's the man wrestled with Jacob. The initiator was this divine visitor, we think, I think the conclusion of the majority of scholars, that it's the angel of the Lord or none other than the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament. And so they wrestle. And Jacob's holding on and he's crying, please bless me, I don't want to let go. And the man says, you better let me go. It's the break of day. Why the break of day? Because the Bible tells us later in Exodus, no one can see God's face and live. He probably did it for the sake of Jacob. Look, the sun is about to come up. You can't look at me. Let go. And Jacob says, I'm not letting go. My hip hurts, but please bless me. And I think he was crying. And notice what happens. And he said, the visitor said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Your, no, your name is going to change tonight. I would encourage you, and I can't do it for the sake of time tonight, would you make your devotional reading this week, Isaiah 62, where you will find that God says your, no, your name will no longer be called. And he tells Israel about their hope despite all the negative history that they have had. Jacob, the conniver, the heel catcher, gets renamed to Israel. Now listen to this. This is from James Montgomery Boyce. Israel is a compound of two words, Sara, meaning fight or struggle or rule, and El, meaning God. Commentators have taken this to mean he struggles with God, that being the definition of the name Israel, or he prevailed with God based upon verse 28. In other cases, however, of names compounded from a verb and the name of God, God is not the object of the verb, he is the subject. Thus, Daniel means God judges, not he judges God. Samuel means God heard, not he heard God. If we were to follow the same principle of interpretation here, Israel means God rules or God commands or God prevails. You know, uh, it's been often said, coming the, to the name of Israel, which has been debated. Some people say Israel means prince of God. Some people say it means governed by God. But if you flip it around, Israel actually means God governs. God prevails. God rules. And if you want to win, you submit to the one who prevails over everything. Do you know that on this night, Jacob didn't really win. He lost. But by losing, he won. What? Oh, yeah. Because in your battle with God, when you lose, you win. When you finally decide that you have no more strength and you decide to throw up your arms and say, I surrender, how much? All, all to you, Jesus, I surrender. That's when you win. Jesus says when you die, you live. That is the story of the Bible. Jacob prevailed, not because he was a great wrestler, not because he could defeat God, but because finally he said, Lord, I'm not going to let go of you because you've made it clear you're not letting go of me, and therefore, please, I need your blessing in my life. I cannot do this by myself. This is divine logic, which is beyond our full comprehension. This loss is Jacob's victory. 
For at last Jacob surrenders himself. He wins for losing and now is able to go on in new strength as God's man. This night, his name was changed. I ask you, you wrestling with God? How you doing? Are you limping? Do you know that after this night, Jacob never walked the same again? And when we, as Christians, we talk about our walk, we really just say, how's your walk, dude? It was pretty good, I read my Bible. But the next time you met Jacob, Jacob's walk was something like this. <laughs> and once, once he crossed the stream, people were probably saying to Jacob, what happened to you? I wrestled. With who? A nighttime visitor. And he's real shiny. <laughs> and strong. Just a touch of his finger and zap. So Jacob said, well, while we're talking about names, what's your name? Please tell me your name. And he said, why is it that you ask me my name? And he what? And he blessed him there. I don't know all that is in this response, only to say that maybe God was saying to Jacob, you already know who I am. You don't need to ask me. You see, I told you I was going to be faithful to you. Stop fighting me and surrender. And so Jacob named the place Peniel. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him, a beautiful image that I think a little deeper than on the surface. The sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Peniel, Peniel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, that is the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket, that is, God did, the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. This is what manipulators and self-made people must discover. God's blessings come with his humbling. God will not Use a man or woman greatly until he first breaks that man or woman greatly. I wish the day I would have walked down the aisle of a church, that would have been one of the first talks somebody had with me. Oh, Jesus got a wonderful plan for your life, by the way. He, he'll knock hips out of joints sometimes too. They don't tell you that, but it's true. He'll pop things. You're like, ow, what are you doing? These people told me you had a wonderful plan for my life. I do. Zap. Ow. Lord, I'm limping. Yep. Yeah, you are. You wanted my favor? You got it. You see, if you want to prevail, I must prevail in your heart. And so what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Praise the Lord. Father, thank you so much for your word.
we bow before you in humble submission. We don't want to fight you, God, and when we do, we lose anyway. And we can see ourselves in Jacob tonight, a self-made man, a man who manipulated his way, and a man who had to now look at his, his past right in front of him. And Lord, you were so gracious to him. You blessed him beyond what he could imagine. Yes, he had to work for it, but as he headed back home, he thought maybe he was going to lose everything you had given him. And he wasn't because you are faithful. And you protected him and saw him through. And we will see in the next chapter he'll be reconciled back to his brother because you are a faithful God. You even take the messes that we make in our past, Lord, and you weave together a tapestry of good and your fingerprints and your glory. And it doesn't mean, Lord, that we don't limp. It doesn't mean that we don't get some consequences. But it does mean that when we finally surrender and say, Lord, I cannot go another step without your blessing, we find true life. We become governed by God, or more specifically, we get on the winning team side. God prevails. Israel. And this scene, Lord, would be... Uh, a forecast of the coming wrestlings that this nation endured every time they turned around, enslaved, taken over, beaten down. And yet each time, Lord, you raised them up. Each time they were knocked down and looked like they were gone, you were faithful to rise, raise them up again. And Lord, may we hold on to that hope as your people that each time we make a mistake, each time we fall on our face, each time we feel like we can't go another step, that you will give us the strength to move on. If you're here tonight with your heart and head bowed and you have not fully submitted to Christ, maybe you've been sitting on the fence, maybe you have been wrestling with God and you've been losing. And tonight you want to submit to him. You want your walk to be different. You want your walk to be a walk led by the Spirit. Then do some business with your Creator tonight. He's here, he loves you. He knew you would be here tonight and he knew what you needed to hear. And the question will really be tonight, will you say, Lord, I'm not gonna let go until you bless me because I know you're never gonna let go of me. Lord, may you speak to the hearts of your people tonight. May you encourage those who have been backslidden. May you encourage some who need to rededicate tonight and may you encourage that one who doesn't know you and is going it all alone they don't have to do that anymore you're just a prayer away if you've not met jesus as your lord and savior you're not sure if you died tonight you'd be in heaven pray something like this jesus save me come into my life transfer me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light i believe you died on the cross for my sin i believe you rose from the dead and i want to walk with you lord I want to surrender my life to you. I pray that in Jesus' name. And Lord, may you bless those who have prayed tonight. They know in the quietness of their heart, you know their hearts. And may you just fill them up, strengthen every precious believer tonight. No matter if we're walking with a limp tonight or not spiritually or otherwise, Lord, may you strengthen your people and bless them in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Would you stand?